This is Hitting the Mark, conversations with founders and investors about the intersection of brand clarity and startup success, with your host, brand strategist and author, Fabian Garhalter. That was the one lesson I learned kind of the hard way, where of the six companies I did, the second and the third, our design firm and Rotten Tomatoes were very focused when we're doing web design for the entertainment industry or Rotten Tomatoes, we're just doing movie reviews. The three I did after Rotten Tomatoes weren't focused. We were trying to do too many things and it was, it ended up becoming too much work. You know, we couldn't focus our resources to actually build something that really like people wanted. And from a branding perspective, it was hard for people to know what it is we were doing, who we are, were, et cetera. And so I think the most important thing for any business to do is to be focused. This was Patrick Lee, co-founder and founding CEO of Rotten Tomatoes, the movie rating system we all came to know so well, and that I always saw as a kind of anti-brand. We're talking about how Patrick transitioned from running a design firm, like so many of my listeners, to running Rotten Tomatoes 23 years ago. Needless to say, the brand is still going strong, and we discuss how the name and the famous tomato meter with its counterintuitive colors came about, how focus is key to entrepreneurial success. But we also go back to his design agency days, and Patrick shares an inspiring story on how the small agency won Disney as a client without having any related work in their portfolio. A well-rounded conversation to kick off 2021. Before we dive in, I want to thank Ash Barber and Duncan Milne for supporting the podcast and joining the Creative Circle, and Bryant Ashford for joining the Golden Circle. No idea what I'm talking about? Head on over to patreon.com slash hitting the mark to see your options of joining my mentorship circle while giving back to the show this year. And now... Over to my conversation with Patrick. Welcome to the show, Patrick. Hi, thanks for having me, Fabian. Absolutely. So, so you and I met when we were mentoring a cohort of the Founder Institute. I'm not sure which cohort it was. They all blend together. Um, but, you know, reading into, you know, where you come from and, and, you know, your journey outside of Rotten Tomatoes, I actually realized that we both started off in print design and then we moved on to web design before we both learned how to focus on one thing. And by doing so, it created clarity and with clarity, as it usually does, um, you know, come success. You, you said that in an interview, and it, it literally is part of my brand strategy, Holy Grails, you said that companies are trying to outfeature themselves instead of having razor sharp focus. And that really is the story behind Rotten Tomatoes, which launched 20 years ago, which is crazy to think about. And despite lots of handovers over the years, it, it is still the trusted resource for movie fans. How did that journey begin for you? Take us back to the time you were an undergrad at UC Berkeley. Right. So when I was at UC Berkeley, I felt like I wanted to do a startup. I didn't know what, but I, I wanted to do something with friends. And I, I just felt like, you know, when people graduate, they just, they just go all over the country and find jobs. And I wanted to keep everyone together. So that was actually like my reasoning for, for doing something. I started originally a, a 
hardware, like we were selling computer system components was my first company. It didn't really go anywhere, but I convinced three other friends to, to like drop out of school. Uh, from there, we did that for a few years. I ended up doing my second company, which led to Rotten Tomatoes. My second company was a design firm. And we were doing, originally we were doing all kinds of things. We were doing print design, 3D design, web design for any kind of client. But we eventually focused where we only did web design for the entertainment industry. Uh, and there we started doing stuff for um, like Disney Channel, ABC, Warner Brothers, Artisan, MTV, VH1. We made the online flash game for Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Hmm. And the Rotten Tomatoes started was it was actually created by our creative director, Sen Duong. Uh, he he was a huge Jackie Chan fan. And he wanted to know when the movie Rush Hour was coming out, what all the critics were saying about the movie. And so he went out to the library and started gathering reviews because back then a lot of reviews were not online. So he would go and, you know, find the magazines, find newspapers, read the review and like write down a quote and then go back home and he started working on the site. And his <laughs> idea was when you open up a newspaper, you would see an ad for a uh, a movie and it would look like a movie poster filled with quotes. But the thing is those quotes would always be good even if the movie was not. <laughs> so if the movie was actually good, they'd be from professional movie critics like Roger Ebert. If they, If the movie was not good, they would be from like a radio station DJ or something like that. Yeah, yeah, random um, people. <laughs> folks who are not professional critics. Yeah. So Sen's idea was, what if I include all the quotes, good and bad, but only from professional critics? And so that's what he did. He attached a score to it and launched. So it was interesting is from when he had the idea to actually putting it out live, it only took him two weeks uh, because he built everything in static HTML. He actually couldn't code at the time. Built it in static HTML, and he only covered the movies, the wide release movies coming out that week. So that's how he was able to do it as basically one person. And so we hosted the site for him over the course of a year. And it started kind of getting more and more notice, you know, getting featured on like Netscape and Yahoo. Roger Ebert wrote an article where he pointed out his favorite movie websites and he included Rotten Tomatoes. Hmm. And I remember specifically the day Pixar released A Bug's Life we saw a spike in traffic on Rotten Tomatoes and it turned out it, it was coming from Pixar. So <laughs> over the course of that first year of hosting for him, we're like, you know, maybe this could be the company. And so we talked to him and decided to kind of join forces where I went out, raised a million in funding for the company and we transferred our whole team of 20 some uh, folks from our design firm all to focus on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. And that was that was the end of your design firm, and that was the beginning of Rotten Tomatoes as a company. Yeah, it took a little while for us to like transfer our design firm off to another group to take over, uh, because we couldn't just automatically just hand over the clients. But we were kind of transitioning our design firm off at the same time we were ramping everyone over to Rotten Tomatoes. Um, and then it was kind of crazy because we essentially closed funding in January 2000, and then two months later the internet stock bubble burst. That that would have been one of my questions, right? Because you were you were smack in the midst of that because I, I, rem I remember that time clearly. How did, how did you guys manage to get through this? It, it was tough. We actually had to let go of a lot of folks. We went from 25 to 21 to 17 to 14 to 11 to seven over the course of a year. We essentially, and even at seven, Everyone took at least a 30% pay cut. Myself and our marketing person, Paul, went to zero. So even at seven, we were the equivalent of like 
like four or something or three. And we basically told people we cannot survive um, with this headcount. And we told folks to start looking for a job. Mm. There's a few that were like, can you please stay? We would really like you to be able to stay. And then everyone else, we asked if they can find something. And we essentially kept them hired until they found something. And we accelerated some of their vesting and everything um, because we didn't want to let them go. But it just it would have been impossible during that time because once the market crashed, it was impossible to raise more money. But also, most like internet companies were generating revenue through advertising. And when the market right. crashed, most of that advertising money was coming from other internet companies. And so when that market crashed, like all the revenue also dried up. So it's like you can't raise funding and you can't generate almost any revenue. And so tons of companies were going out of business. And for us, we knew we just had to like massively tighten our belts to just kind of weather the storm. And did you have to pivot in any ways or were you just basically tighten the belt and say, we got to get through this because you were still dependent on advertisers and that's just how it was? We didn't pivot because Rotten Tomatoes was, uh, it was working. Um, the main thing we had to try and do was tighten the belt and then slowly start trying to actually generate revenue because when Sen was doing it by himself, it wasn't bringing any revenue in. And so we actually started trying to sell advertising. But what worked for us is because the market had had crashed, we were already kind of selling advertising in that new world and kind of figuring out as everyone else was trying to figure out. Um, we were also trying to start putting in like affiliate deals to help sell things like movie posters and DVDs mm. and CDs. So those kinds of things uh, sell movie tickets those kind of things help to bring in revenue. So a lot of it was figuring out how to monetize the site as well as how to kind of continue growing the traffic and growing the brand. And um, this is a this is a question which I, I believe you you kind of already hinted at at the answer, but um, I asked my listeners um, you know to submit some questions. And um, Ash Barber, um, uh, one of my listeners, he uh, he submitted this one, and I thought it was it was really good. Um, when you launched Rotten Tomatoes, what set you apart from the competitors? And so now, I guess, or was there even any competition at the time? I mean, were there any any reviews online at that point? Movie reviews. At the time, the closest thing probably would have been actually Roger Ebert had a TV show called Siskel and Ebert. Remember? Um, where yeah. they had two folks and they would do thumbs up, thumbs down, but it was essentially just two people. There were some movie sites that had like movie news and gossip. There were lots of different reviewers who were gradually coming online, but they were all solo reviewers. Yeah. What Rotten Tomatoes did was we basically aggregated all the reviews into one place and then gave you a score. So that was something that no one was doing at the time uh, outside of like Roger Ebert, but that was two people and we were doing, you know, probably about 50 to start with. And then gradually other companies started mimicking what we were trying to do. But when we came out, we were original. And so I always saw Rotten Tomatoes as an anti-brand. And, and maybe that's because of the name, right? And, and, and everything. And it always seemed very, you know, it, the brand seemed to be, you know, a little bit grassroots, um, you know, low on the gliss and glitter of a shiny brand design. Was, was that something that you did on purpose or was it just organic the way that it was built by one guy and then slowly you guys kind of like kept into it but even today you look at rotten tomatoes the actual website right dot com um and it and it and it still feels very very grassroots and very minimalistic actually i think when it first launched uh, when sen designed it it was 
much more artsy looking, had a lot more personality to it. Hmm. I mean, not just the name, but if you looked at like the logo, if you looked at the, the way the tomatoes were, um, they actually looked rotten. The logo, I think there was like worms and stuff on, on some of the tomatoes and everything. If you can go to like the, I think it's like the Wayback Machine. The Wayback Machine, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Back to like 1998, you can see the early version of Ron Tomatoes. It looked very different. It gradually, with all the different owners and stuff, they they kind of, I would say, took a lot of the personality out. They made it a lot cleaner, um, almost more like Facebook-like. And then the, with the last owners, um, Fandango, they actually rebranded it where they changed the logo, changed the color scheme and everything. Um, Interesting. Because because I was wondering, right, um, you know, about the the tomato meter, right, um, your your Rotten Tomatoes rating system. It's kind of like the opposite of, of common visual language where red means no and green means go, right? So red is bad or stop and green is great or go. And, you know, with, with Rotten Tomatoes, it, it is, and I, I believe it's always been, but, but maybe it hasn't, that the red tomato means great and the green splash means rotten. Has this been around always like that? Yeah, so pretty much from the beginning, uh, that's what Sen was doing. We cleaned it up after we raised funding and we put our whole team on it. We did kind of clean things up, so we used a lot of the same color schemes. We tried to maintain the same personality, but made it a bit cleaner, more friendly looking. Right now, the funny thing is, yeah, we've always been sort of reverse, where the green is bad and the red is good. Yeah. But what was funny with the Fandango rebrand, they actually changed. The Rotten Tomatoes logo from green to red, which I oh I think it looks fine, but it's actually kind of confusing because red is supposed to be fresh for us. So Rotten Tomatoes technically it it should be green, right? Green is rotten. Yeah, so that's a little bit confusing. <laughs> Yeah, I thought something was off there with with the color scheme. So that that's really that's really interesting. And I mean, you know, I mean, for for obvious reasons, you're you're one of the few brands that that led with a negative, right? So you led the the name, you know, rotten, right? Instead of anything positive or celebratory. Um, I know the answer, but I'm asking for a friend here. Well, a few thousand friends who are listening at this point. How did you guys come up with the name? Right. So Sen's idea was, you know, back in the day, if it was like like Shakespeare times, if, if people were up there performing some play and it was terrible, people would take rotten fruits and vegetables and throw them at the the actors. So <laughs> that's how you came up with Rotten Tomatoes. And, uh, and, and it's amazing how one thing leads to everything, right? I mean, what we just discussed about the tomatoes and, you know, the colors. And um, it's really just one name can, can, can drive everything in, in the brand very often. Um, may that be a good thing or a bad thing for you guys, it definitely worked out. Yeah, I think one thing that was quite good about the name was it's hard to forget when you hear it. It's so strange that it sticks in your head. I do remember when we first started going out and try to talk to studios about the site, you know, they would just laugh when they heard the name because it was it was so <laughs> weird, but it's memorable and that was good. And I think as far as it being a negative, it actually worked out well for us because it basically is saying that we're not afraid to tell you when a movie is bad. And so, you know, we're not like paid off by the studios or something like that so that you can trust the scores. And I think that was very important for us. True, strategically, that's very sound, right? I mean, that's the branding story. That That's the brand, you know, story. It's, you know, it's not just what's on a movie poster. It's actually everyone's voices, every, everyone who's professional and actually makes a lot of sense. Um, 
What are your What are your tips for 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 naming? Uh, I know you have many because we've been in a session together where you give tips to 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 startups um, to basically not screw it up. And naming is so important, right? It is so difficult to um, to, to go back once you actually set a name and and once you start having some success. Um, the worst thing is when suddenly you realize that it uh, means something horrifying in a you know in a different language or in in a, in a you know region that you want to expand to, or if suddenly there's a trademark issue um what what are some of your tips that uh, that that you give startups i would say looking back for what we did with ron tomatoes the two things that i think worked for us was one you know we did pick a, a memorable name i think that helps it was a something that pretty much was not out there at all so there was no like real danger of us accidentally having the same name as someone else uh you know obviously try and get one where you can get the URL and these days all the social media you know handles. And then the big, big thing for us was, I think is as important in general is like business focus, you know, really focusing on what your company does. But I think it also applies to brand and marketing is what does your company do? Because if it's really clear, really focused, it makes it easier for people to understand what you do. And when they understand what you do, they can actually tell other people about it. And so then the brand can actually spread. So with Rotten Tomatoes, we were movie reviews. Like that's all that we were. And so it made it really easy to tell the people. And the, when we were running it, 30% of our traffic actually came from just word of mouth. And I believe it's it's been like that like forever. You know, yeah, you might have come up across it through a search engine looking up a movie, an actor, a director, but also very likely someone else told you, hey, go check out Rotten Tomatoes. And so you think because the name is so memorable, um, it is, it, you know, it, ju it just sticks in people's minds. Yeah, so that's one thing, but also because it's so focused around movie reviews, then when people are like, hey, I'm trying to figure out what to see, other folks will be like, hey, go check out Rotten Tomatoes. It It will tell you, you know, what is worth seeing. Right, right. The name isn't focused as much as, as, as the brand itself, right? Exactly. So it immediately conjures up movie reviews. That's all it does. I mean, that's the one single focus of the site and of the brand. Totally. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you are, you're a serial brand builder, uh, besides Rotten Tomatoes, you also started six startups, I believe across, um, three countries, <laughs> the U S China and Hong Kong. Um, and, uh, currently you're in Taiwan, Taiwan, I think. Um, so you're, you're, you're an international entrepreneur. Um, you targeted, uh, with five of your companies, you targeted consumers with four of them, tech and entertainment. Um, you raised outside funding with four of them, two of them exited. Having gone through all of this, what does branding mean to you? I mean, all of these startups, branding was, to some of them, most probably a crucial component. And to some of them, it was, um, you know, an important component, but not the most important if it's, you know, if it's not a consumer brand. But what does branding mean to you? I think it's, it's kind of like what I was saying before. It's specifically around focus. That was the one lesson I learned kind of the hard way where of the six companies I did, the second and the third, our design firm and Ron Tomatoes were very focused. When we were doing web design for the entertainment industry or Ron Tomatoes, we were just doing movie reviews. The three I did after Rotten Tomatoes weren't focused. We were trying to do 
too many things and it was it ended up becoming too much work you know we couldn't focus our resources to actually build something that really like people wanted and from a branding perspective it was hard for people to know what it is we were doing who we are were etc and so i think the most important thing for any business to do is to be focused and i believe focus also carries over to branding and marketing as well i mean one good example is I, I believe this is true across any kind of company across any kind of industry not the startups you know look at fast food you know franchises every one of them is pretty much known for one thing like it, if i say the name you immediately know like panda express kfc pizza hut domino's mcdonald's in and out taco bell crispy cream dunkin donuts right like each one of them you're immediately like oh yeah that's that's hamburger oh yeah that's that's chicken yeah etc right you look at crispy cream i mean it's literally a single donut like when i think of crispy cream i'm thinking of that <laughs> one classic donut that's it and the folks you don't see folks out there who are like we are going to be you know hamburgers and chinese food and donuts i mean i'm sure some restaurant like that exists but it's not a successful one not one that has really blown up and so i think it's important for business to be super focused but su being super focused will actually help with the brand and make it much easier to market I totally agree. Um, focus, focus creates clarity, and uh, and I hundred percent agree with that. Um, what was you know? Obviously, you went through many, many you know successes with all of these startups. Um, you know, outside of Rotten Tomatoes, and um, and I'm sure there were a lot of a lot of fails. Um, was there a ginormous brand fail? Meaning, like, was there something related to branding um, that that happened with one of your companies where? Afterwards, you felt, oh my God, you know what just happened here, and it actually goes back to maybe the naming, or maybe the maybe the you know the brand design, or maybe it was uh, you know messaging that 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 you had to completely um, you know switch over after you realized that it just did not stick um, to to the customer. Was there anything like that in in that journey that comes to mind? Not really, just because I feel like the times it failed, it wasn't necessarily because of the name; it was because we just weren't focused enough that we were trying to do too many things. And so nothing stuck to the name, but I believe in all the cases where the companies didn't work or the projects didn't work, it was more, you know, had we been more focused, we could have kept the same name. And I think it still could have worked because I mean, you'll see names attached to like any kind of project. Right. Look at Yahoo. Look at Google. I mean, those weren't, I mean, Google, I guess, technically is a word, but like a lot of times Yahoo is a word as well, but they weren't anything associated with like search. Right. So you can almost put anything to anything in my opinion, but it has to be focused so that when people hear the name, they will immediately think about what it is. You know, like the best case examples would be something like Xerox or Kleenex, you know, where it's yeah. like literally it becomes the thing in that whole category. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you you see a lot of these examples when um you know when when, when companies uh you know have have to pivot because of that, right? Because they, they they lose focus, they suddenly do two or three things, and then suddenly the, the name doesn't work for them anymore because they they lost that focus instead of changing in one uh, staying in one um, certain um, segment or you know one specific offering, they just they just start expanding, um, and it happens over and over and over again. Um, and that's also when when brands start being like mad brands, right? You 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 can't. Really Really put them you can't put your finger at it like what are they now really doing right right i mean when the company starts growing it will be a, a big issue for them because they're going to add more and more features and product lines and stuff and then the question is do we try to have the same name but then for a new product line or do we actually just have a completely new brand and so you'll see that where you know google goes and gets google video yeah um but then it just it couldn't work against YouTube, and there's probably a lot of business reasons for it. But also, I think from a branding perspective, it just was easier for people to kind of think about like a YouTube where it's a new thing, and so it can kind of attach to that what it does more easily than than something like Google Video. And it it happens over and over again. You know, like Facebook with Instagram or Amazon with like Zappos. Yeah. Yeah. Bringing up Sappos is a tough one. <laughs> no, yeah. This is timely. Um, but um, I, I want to I want to take you back for for a second when you were running your um, design shop and just because just before you got your your first really big massive entertainment clients. I think you you told this story on a podcast on a different show that I listened to um, the other night to to prep for this, and you talked about how you got to work with Disney um, as, as a company, despite having no prior portfolio pieces in the entertainment industry at all, which of course now we know that was that was a big thing for you doing film sites and being in the entertainment industry. How did you get to work with Disney? Because I love that story. Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. We, <laughs> we were originally doing a lot of work for the tech industry. So we had connections to like motherboard manufacturers like Asus and, and folks like that. And so we were doing a lot of that but it wasn't really something that we were super excited about as a design firm. Bread and butter. And yeah. one of the people we were working with at the time, his daughter was at Disney and he was going to be at, I think it was Comdex in Las Vegas. And he was like, hey, come over. You know, I can make intros to other you know, tech companies, but you should also meet my daughter because she's also at Disney Channel and, and a producer there for on the website. And so we're like, oh, that's amazing. So we went over, we met her, and she was like, oh, your stuff looks pretty good. Do you have anything that's like entertainment related that I can go and you know show my team and my boss? <laughs> and we didn't. And so when we got back to the Bay Area after the trip to Vegas, I went out and I essentially called a bunch of folks because our team at the time was very small, a bunch of different friends who could, you know, either code or do graphics or things like that, that weren't part of the company. And I just basically brought them all together. We did like a pizza party. We went onto Disney Channel site and looked up their schedule. And we found movies that were coming up that they didn't actually have a website for. And one of them was Mighty Ducks 2. It was like a hockey <laughs> movie, kids hockey movie. And so we went to Blockbuster, rented the video. We all had pizza, watched the video. Uh, the movie, and then we 
we essentially split everyone. We had, I think it was like more than a dozen people. We split everyone into teams <laughs> to essentially build different parts of the site. So we, we built a site. We had two fully working games in Shockwave. We built like icons, wallpapers, bios of the characters, like everything. It was a fully featured site. Amazing. We tried to mimic the Disney Channel like look as best as we could, but we didn't really know all the rules. And then we did that all over like one weekend. <laughs> and then Monday, you know, come Monday morning, I send it over to her and I was like, we don't have anything in our portfolio that really matches Disney Channel, but we we made this. <laughs> and she, she saw it and she was like, oh my God, like there's no way that we would have known in advance to like build something like this. And it wasn't exactly Disney Channel like style, so they couldn't use it as it was, but they actually really liked the two Flash games we made. And so they ended up buying those. And at the time we were you know, just out of college, we were charging like $500, $1,000 for like really simple websites, things yeah, like yeah. that. Or they bought the two games for, I think it was 12,500 total. <laughs> so it was like an order of magnitude more than what we were making up to that point. And yeah. we did have to go and you know clean it up. And then that's how we first started with them. And then they slowly would like give us like, you know, requests for proposals for new projects. And we were always, you know, super aggressive coming in faster, cheaper, better, like across everything, we were better. And got to a point where we were actually for a while the lead developer for Disney Channel. And one of the guys who was basically the main person in charge, he switched over to ABC because they were like sister companies. And he even brought us into ABC. So he had us do, you know, the online flash game for Who Wants to Be a Millionaire back when the show was like at its peak. So um, it was it was really cool. And we really enjoyed it. <laughs> and it was an example of just being super, super aggressive. Yeah, well, I am the price, right? And hustling. It's like, hey, we have nothing. We have no chance. We only have a weekend. What are we going to do? You know, uh, be, be miserable that we just don't get that gig because we have no example. So just build something from scratch, which sounds like a completely crazy idea. And 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 and, and the reason why I wanted you to share this 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 uh, particular journey is because we have a lot of creatives listening to this show. Um, and a lot of them want to move more towards brand strategy and kind of like, you know, you know how creatives are. They, they move around, you know, different areas. And so, um, you know, for, for them, that's a that's a fantastic uh, story. But for any other entrepreneur, I mean, that, uh, you know, that that hustle <laughs> that you guys showed is, uh, is amazing. And then it was your biggest client for a long time, right? I mean, that that was your your main client. Yeah, yep, it was. But the thing that was really good for us was because we were working with them in Disney, I think within that space in general, like folks move around a lot. So a lot of times when we got new jobs, it was because someone moved to, yeah. you know, like MTV or VH1 or other places, Warner Brothers, and they bring us with them because they knew we did a really good job. And essentially our job was to make the producers look good yeah. for, for choosing to hire us, that they didn't make a mistake. And because we did a really good job of, of doing that, they brought us everywhere. Right. 
Right. That's a, uh, you know, that, that is something that I see in, uh, in, in design branding advertising over and over, right. Especially with, with, with larger companies, CMOs, uh, are constantly on the move. I mean, they stick around for a year or two and then they move on. And if you just have a handful of them where you made great impressions, you are constantly busy because they come in and they want to see change and, and they want to make things happen. And if you're a trusted partner, that's uh, that's absolutely what happened. But all of that changed for you once, uh, once Rotten Tomatoes, uh, came, came, came to, to fruition. And I know that the way that you explained it is you basically slowly had to let people go. You basically advised them to look for a new job. Um, and at the same time, you had some amazing clients that a lot of, you know, you know, of a lot of your competitor um, web design firms would have most probably drooled over. Did, it, did you just send an email to 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 your clients um, and saying like, hey, here's what's going on. Um, let's be in touch. But here are five companies that I think would do a good job. Or how, how did you move clients somewhere? else we didn't actually move clients we basically there was a company that we were passing our overflow clients to when when it just didn't fit it was either not entertainment or it was like too small or something like that generally it was if it was not entertainment related we would pass it to this group um, rather than just purely say no and they were doing a good job with the companies we were passing over and we basically were like went to them and said hey do you want to just take over our company. So they actually took over our company design oh. reactor. And so when we transitioned, it was more about like transitioning our internal producers and team, but to the, to the companies, like the media companies working with us, we were still design reactor. All eggs in the basket with, uh, with rotten tomatoes. Yeah, exactly. We, we had a huge discussion at the time about, should we try to do both? And we were very worried that we wouldn't, have been able to properly split the two. Yeah. And, you know, with design companies, it's like every time the client wants something, it's like they want it yesterday. Yeah. And they always have these last minute changes. And we were very nervous that it would continue to happen. And every time it happened, we'd have to pull folks from Ron Tomatoes over to like help out on stuff. And so that's why we were like, no, I think if we try to do both, neither one's going to work. Um, but looking back, had we known that we would have had to let go of so many people if we could have just taken the people we had to let go, put them all on Design Reactor, and then like really, really strict, like strictly, like cut it off where the two would not help each other, mm -hmm. I think, I think at, that could have worked. Interesting, yeah. Well, if, um, if, if, if all goes to plan, um, this episode will literally kick off 2021. Uh, it should post on the 1st of January, which I think uh, mankind can't wait for that day. <laughs> Even though I don't, yeah. think, I don't think we're going to switch everything on the first day of like suddenly life is going to be great again. But let's, let's just hope for 2021. Um, <clears throat> but so this is going to go live on the 1st. What, what is your... What are your thoughts about about branding? You know, like like moving on. Like, what is your vision for 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 brands this coming year? It doesn't necessarily have to do with branding, just brands overall. Like, do you have any like thoughts of like what may change, what may flourish, um, what may fail? Like, like what are some what are some thoughts for the new year as far as uh you know startups uh you know go and and and, and brands go? Like, where where are things where are things heading in uh in um Patrick Lee's uh, crystal ball? <laughs> That's an interesting question. I I wouldn't say I'm like an expert on branding or anything. I think I still think the biggest thing would be you know just focus in general like across 
all companies, all brands, especially startups, especially new creatives, is to not try to do too much, to not try to have your brand represent everything and everyone because then it represents no one. Yeah. I think that's super important. And then just for 2021 in general, you know, hopefully it's a fresh start. It can't, I don't think it could be worse than 2020. Like, <laughs> Uh, in across anything, just on so many levels, it's just been just such a crazy year. Um, so I think moving forward for brands in 2021, I think maybe just having more positivity, more hope um, would be just good. And I think also just to have people and brands and everything to be more focused on like helping each other out, supporting each other, how we can work together, support one another, and not be so divided uh, across everything. Um, I think with COVID and all these other things, you know, it's been just a really tough time for a lot of people. And I think now more than ever, we need the country, the world to just support each other more. And I think if brands could sort of capture some of that spirit, um, I think it would be good. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do believe that um, a lot of brands, especially the smaller brands, um, you know, not necessarily mom and pa shops, but anything from, from, from that level to midsize, they had to be they had to be more authentic this year. They had to be more transparent about what's really going on. Um, and and so I think that something happened there with that with that transparency and authenticity, where they started to connect more with the customer. And they didn't even know they don't have to have this big brand, you know, divider between them and and, and the customer. You know, and I think that that's going to I I think that's going to keep going in twenty twenty one. I think people, you know, brands, well, people and brands, they're both actually the same brand. It's just a bunch of people. You know? It's like they, they will. They, I think that they will really start celebrating that because everyone will have a big sigh of relief. I hope uh, once once the vaccines come around, um, and I think that they they were humbled enough th throughout this year where a lot of them had to literally survive. Um, you know, the, the entire brand had to survive, uh, and uh, and and this, a lot of them had to pivot, and just a lot of stuff was going on in business that they're just gonna you know sigh with relief, and they're just gonna be with open arms towards their customers you know who's, whoever whoever mm. is willing to start paying money again for their services i i do hope and i do believe and i think that that you know what what you said is kind of like a a, a prelude to that to that thought i think that everything will become a little happier and more transparent and more authentic in the new year i really hope so yeah i hope so too What's next for you? Um, what are, I mean, you know, six startups <laughs> that you have under your belt. I know you've been doing a, a, a huge amount of mentoring. Um, we've done some of it uh, together in one session, but I know you uh, you mentored uh, an, an incubator accelerator in Hawaii um, for for a couple of months um, lately. What what are you, what are your goals in twenty twenty one? What is what is what is going to go on in your uh, professional life? That's a good question. I've been trying to figure it out. So I came to Taiwan. I just got here about a week ago. I'm still in quarantine and trying to figure out what the next step is for me. I don't know if I have the energy to do another startup. They just, they take so much out of you. Mm -hmm. I do, you know, past few years, I have been doing a lot of advising and mentoring. And I do realize like, I, I really like working with startups. I really like helping startups. Um, I also really like the intersection of tech and entertainment. So 
one thing I'm exploring the idea around, I don't know for sure if I will do it, was a possibility of maybe doing a fund mm -hmm. that invests specifically at the intersection of tech and entertainment and probably to invest pretty early, like pre-seed, seed stage. So that's something I'm looking into, but I don't know for sure that, that that's what I will end up doing, but that's currently what I'm researching. Well, I mean, if you if you put all of these all of these different areas of backgrounds together, and um, you have some some circles, and then smack in the center is the funds. <laughs> it does make a lot of sense to me, right? Um, all of the experience, all of the you know the the, the mentoring, um, you know your own journey, all of your connections, um, and uh, and the passion for startups and for for tech and entertainment, and 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 there it is. And once again, you know there there are so many funds out there, um, but but actually creating one that is so highly hyper-focused, once again, it's about focus, um, could be could be really amazing. Well, I hope you check back with us. I, I would I would love to to hear uh, once you're there. And on this podcast, I only feature founders and investors. So who knows? Maybe maybe you're gonna be back in a year as an with your investor head on um, talking about talking about your brands. Sure, sure. I would love to to come back. Just feel free to reach out anytime. Listeners who appreciated uh, your your advice and they, and they want to follow along on your on your journey, whatever's whatever's next, where where can they find you online best? Where can they connect? I would say the best is LinkedIn, Instagram. I'm basically rotten doubt like everywhere. Rotten like rotten tomatoes. <laughs> doubt like like no doubt. So rotten doubt. <laughs> That's awesome. That's really good. Well, listen, Patrick, thank you for, for, for calling in uh, from Taiwan during your quarantine and just having settled in. Uh, super appreciated. Uh, thanks for your time and, uh, and be in touch. Yes, yes. Thanks. Great talking to you. Not a bad way to start off the year, which I hope will get a certified fresh status. I know only you Rotten Tomatoes fans will get that one. I have such amazing guests scheduled this year and I'm looking forward to seeing the show grow in listenership. It is truly a one-of-a-kind podcast that generates an immense amount of brand, marketing and entrepreneurial inspiration and I do hope you help spread the word by giving it a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. Hitting the Mark is produced by my consultancy Finian, where we create clarity for brand transformations. This episode was edited by Everett Barton and the Hitting the Mark theme music was written and produced by Happiness One. I will see you next time when we once again will be hitting the mark.